0: Well, turn with me to 2 Kings. And as you're doing that, 2 Kings chapter 6. This morning's vocabulary word, I won't go back into introducing this series, except just to say the purpose for this series is to set in front of us words, concepts that are in the Bible that are extremely critical to our journey. As believers, and, and particularly relevant to right now in where we find ourselves as as people living on planet Earth two thousand and nineteen this year that 's upon us, living in the Western world, living under the influence of ideas that we were raised with, that we watch every day online on commercials that we see modeled for us and people around us that noise, it features certain things and it ignores other things. It gets really quiet about certain stuff and some of that becomes, oh, I think I remember. You know, I can remember back in the day and these words just, they grow dull, they they grow unused, they grow unfamiliar, they grow poorly defined. And so I'm just grabbing a few of these words that are really critical to our journey. And if you're going to experience Christ this year, which I think if you're a Christian, that's, that's your main aim, isn't it? want to experience and walk with God and grow deeper in walking with him and see his kingdom come. If you neglect these words, I promise you this, you'll get to the end of this year and you will not have experienced Christ the way you need to. So every one of these words are just critical for our journey together with God and individually with God as well. Every time I go to unpack one of these words, I I realize you have taken one word that is massive and you're going to try and talk about it once and move on. And so this is freaking me out a little bit to do this, but I think it's still a worthwhile venture. All right, let me start with this word supernatural by journeying away from us. Uh, almost 3,000 mile, 3, miles, 3,000 miles, 3,000 years from where we are today, back to this passage, a biblical report of two guys, you know, that were, I don't know, they found themselves in a hotel room having this conversation. All right? So, chapter six of Second Kings, a man named Elisha and his servant are traveling together. The Syrian army has shown up and is visible to the natural eye. But what Elisha is going to do is he's going to highlight the fact that there's more going on in this situation than what meets the eye. All right, so we all know this story if we've read through this section of the Bible. He says, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots, was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, well, Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may See, so the lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around elisha right so here's a setting two guys hanging out traveling stop for the night stay in a hotel next morning Young guy wakes up early, goes outside, and everything he can see with the natural eye tells him, freak out, panic. Oh my gosh, they found us. But Elisha is living life with this person, and what a contrast, right? He sees life through a different set of eyes. He sees the same situation in the same moment. He sees what is available in the natural eye to see, but he sees more than that. He sees something in the spirit and he prays that God would help his servant with him see this. All right, fast forward about 300 years to Daniel chapter 10. If you can turn to Daniel chapter 10. This is about 300 years later, so we're about 550 BC, somewhere in that neighborhood. And here is a man named Daniel finds himself living in displaced, I I don't know, kind of a Hurricane Katrina event. He's having to live somewhere else than home and make a life in another location. And we pick up Daniel's story in chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict, and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks, and I'm not going to chase off too many of the details of this, I think it's important as you as you gaze into these passages and you see supernatural elements which is what i'm just trying to help us see the the supernaturalness around us people were doing certain stuff that put them in touch with the supernatural and not everybody was in touch right you do notice that elisha and his servant are not on the same page but then they get on the same page. right? So here's Daniel. He's going to have an encounter here. But it's been three weeks where he ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth. Nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So he's fasting. He's pursuing something here. On the 24th day of the first month as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that's the Tigris. I lifted up my, my eyes and looked and behold a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like barrel, his, eye, his face like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. All right, we, Are we picking up these stories? That stuff is happening that not everybody's seeing what's going on. But a great trembling fell upon them and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. And I heard the sound of his words and I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground behold a hand touched me set me trembling on my hands and knees and he said to me oh daniel man greatly loved understand the words that i speak to you and stand upright for now i have been sent to you and when he had spoken this word to me i stood up trembling then he said to me fear not daniel For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for the days yet to come. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we are, we are gazing into divinely preserved stories, realities, recorded history. Things that you wrote down. Lord, there's so many things you didn't write down. But you wrote these down. And you preserve them for us for such a day as today. Lord, lest we be like Daniel's companions or Elisha's servant. Lord, give us eyes that see. Lord, guard us from living one-dimensional lives. You have so much more. But God, we need you to help us see that. Help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. apparently daniel living in everyday existence he's living in a faraway place there's stuff going on life is happening daniel lives if you will uh you know modern explanation economy collapsed everybody had to move daniel lives somewhere else And he's going through life and he feels this sense of drawing near to God to pursue something from God. And God is going to open up revelation to him. And next thing you know, he's going to become aware of angelic beings. And he's going to get a little bit of an explanation from this one angelic being that he meets. About something going on in the heavens. While there was a 21 day delay, there was this happening and it's very not a lot of detail here so you know when you when you build on stuff like this you build at your own risk we just know there's something going on in the heavens and he gets a brief explanation for that all right now fast forward from 550 bc to the first century and in your outline there ephesians chapter 6 the apostle paul writing some 600 years later So it just seems as you travel through time with God, the circumstances of the unseen world do not change. All these years have gone off and you get to the Apostle Paul and he doesn't bring a fresh insight to God's people that said, you know, I don't know what was going on with Daniel, the dude was tripping And then there's that Elijah thing that was happening, and people that were seeable, and then they weren't seeable, and they were seeable. Listen, listen. We've just advanced so far beyond that, New Testament church. Here's what you need to know. That's not how the Apostle Paul sounds, is it? Matter of fact, he's real matter of fact in some places. 1 Corinthians 11 10. Just talking about, hey, when you gather, there's some order. There's some things that you should be observing. And then the reason he gives for this escapes us. He says, just briefly, a, a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. And he just moves on. And that's, that's it. That's all you got said. There's just this matter-of-factness in the scriptures that there is this unseen realm that travels with us, it coexists at the same time. Of all that you and I can see, there's a whole nother thing going on that you and I don't see. And the Bible just talks about it matter-of-factly. But this stuff today, in the natural-minded world that we live in, that you know we got we got phd's and we got we've got technology and, and we've got in, you know science has explained so much to us and so maybe maybe this isn't the way things are really john frame makes an interesting comment in his systematic theology since the Bible presents angelic beings as beings with whom we have to do. As one of the environments of the Christian life. It's hard for the modern Christian to know what to make of this. Believers in Bible times were deeply conscious of the presence of angels in their midst. Paul feels no need to explain this phrase. He assumes the Corinthians will understand what it means. But I recall my revered professor of theology, John Murray. And if you've read anything from John Murray, you know this guy's not a slacker shaking his head sadly after reading this passage and confessing that he had no idea what it meant. Nor can I offer insight, and John Frame is no slacker either. Modern Christians, including myself, have lost the vivid consciousness of angelic beings that the New Testament believers took for granted. Part of the reason is that modern people have lost touch with the super natural they have become skeptical of any beings beyond those of our senses i'm going to come back to the senses in just a moment but we trust our natural senses to define life for us and the bible simply treats our natural senses like they are part of reality but not all of reality jerry wilson's written an interesting book called supernatural power for everyday people he says i am firmly convinced that too many christians spend most of their lives trying to carry out their everyday routines in their own strength the bible has lots of warnings about this precisely because it's such a common tendency it just comes naturally to us right, so let me just install this thought that i I don't think i'm undoing any new testament theology by saying this you know the fall has sort of made your vehicle pull to the left severely the fall has done that so in these kinds of areas in the natural component of life it to the natural it it is drawn to the natural the natural makes much more sense it it is something we run to for shelter for an explanation so if you take your hands off the wheel you are going to be in the natural ditch and that's going to be true right i've been saved now for coming up on 40 years this month 40 years i've been saved and Cliff helps me with that because he and I got saved in the same year and I forget to remember that and he remembered his spiritual birthday the other day and it made me remember going oh yeah me too so yeah All right. well 40 years later uh, my my car still pulls into the ditch 40 years later and if I live another 40 years I can pretty much guarantee you my car is still going to pull into the ditch now I'm going to get a heavenly body one day that is going to drive straight and true. No friction. Nothing will force it in the wrong direction. It won't have tendencies but to do anything exactly righteously the way God designed it. That's not this body. All right, so, unless you think you're more spiritual than the Bible and God and everything else, your car pulls to the natural. And you and I have to be aware of that. Because I know some people who... When we get into these categories, they love the supernatural. They love talking about that, et cetera, et cetera. But they feel like, you know, that that kind of paper airplane illustration I've used before. It's like, yeah, you pick this topic up, throw it as far as you can. And a year from now, you'll be picking that thing up again. Going, oh my gosh, how did I become so natural minded again? You're not in heaven. That's how. First Corinthians chapter 14. Here's just an interesting passage. And I think it's informative for us. Right Here's the Apostle Paul speaking to a New Testament church. I think he'd be speaking very similarly to us today. The theology hasn't changed. And he, would be, he could come in, visit with us, and talk about this with us. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. Let me just stop there for a second. Get the context for this because the context sometimes causes us to miss some really good stuff that's here. The context here is Paul is addressing and adjusting public gatherings like these for the Corinthians. He's, He's addressing a dimension of their Christian life. It's not their whole dimension. It's not everything that they do. There's a personal dimension. There's a relating to God personally. But he's talking about when you come together, here would be the best way to make use of that time in that gathering. Use these kinds of gifts. And he's going to highlight and point to some that he would say, these are better gifts to use in a public setting. For instance, prophecy would be better than tongues. Now, you know what some people have done with that? It's like they've stomped all over tongues. Like, like, this is an invitation for you to hate tongues, despise tongues, find a trash can for it, and get rid of this ridiculous thing. That's not at all what he's saying here. He's just trying to tell you when you get together publicly, some activity serves the public setting better than some other activity. But listen to what he says, and my question to every one of us here is, don't you want some of this? Yeah, sure. all right, so in the tongues category... One who speaks in tongues speaks not to men, but to God. Stop. Would you like to speak to God? That's not a bad deal, is it? For one, for no one understands him. No one understands him, including himself. All right, so right now my natural mind is, you know, it's ratcheting up its arguments, isn't it? Well, then why the heck would you do that? Right? Meanless. Why don't we just read? Why don't I just read the Bible? Why don't I just do something profitable? I mean, according to the Bible, clearly taught other places as well, the mind is unfruitful when one is speaking in tongues. So why would I want to do that? But, but see, the problem is you're asking the question the Bible's not asking because your car pulls to the left. And that's just the most reasonable question to ask from the ditch of natural-mindedness, right? Why would I want to do that? If my mind's not understanding what's going on, I don't, I don't understand the value of that. Oh, well, well, can you go with me here? There's a lot of mystery in this book that you and I are just kind of stupid about. But it's valuable simply because God says it's valuable. And it's accomplishing something mysterious. See, this is the whole supernatural realm in some ways. Because I can't understand it, script it, predict it, control it. I move away from it. I neglect it. I leave it alone. And that might be true. I, I would suspect, I'm not asking anybody to raise their hands, but I would suspect there are many in this church who do have the gift of speaking in tongues who right now you would have to pull it off the shelf and blow the dust off of it. Amen when I get close. Thank you for all three of you that are honest. Look in verse 3 of that passage. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Now, don't get lost in the contrast. How many of you guys would like to be built up? Anybody all right with that? Oh, I, I, I I I don't need that. And Keith, come on. How how do you get built up by something you don't understand? I don't know. But I can tell you, I, I pray in tongues every day. Because I believe that verse is telling me the truth. And there's mystery that God is doing something as I'm doing that. That is doing exactly what he said it would do. And it's supernatural in nature, and I, I and you know, even though I'm an engineer, I don't have a math formula to be able to explain it to anyone, including myself. But will I embrace it? Will I accept it? He says, But the, the one who prophesies builds up the church. And so again, this is a the, where are you going to use these gifts kind of a setting? Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. So how many of us are just willing to walk right past that verse and not pick up anything from it and just keep going? You have the Apostle Paul telling you there's a gift here. A supernatural manifestation that occurs in your life that brings personal edification into your existence. And if you met the Apostle Paul and shook hands with him, he would hope that you had that gift. But see, in a natural-minded world, we're more than comfortable to ignore spiritual things. And that's that's a problem. All over the place, It's a problem, right? We exalt the natural. Mike Cosper, in his, at, uh, his uh, article in Our Secular Age, says, pre-modern humanity saw the life of the mind as subject to external, spiritual, and mysterious influences. In modern humanity, things are requit with are quite different no longer is there a plausible sense that our lives are under the influence of unseen spiritual forces instead there are clear palpable explanations for life's questions this modern way of understanding feels safer because our problems are comprehensible and not the product of mysterious forces This is what our age has sought to do, to remove any sense of need that you would have to go outside of yourself, outside of the natural realm, to find a God who can explain and who can meet our needs. The age you and I live in wants to escape the consequences that God really exists. So everything's got to get explained through natural means. And you and I get exposed to that on a regular basis, on a regular basis, on a regular basis. So we begin, we begin, Christians begin to explain everything out of natural resources, natural explanations. When we go to do life. We assess naturally what we're capable of. Can I do that or not? Do I have the resources to do it or not? Do I have the talent to do it or not? Is that person going to respond the way I think or not? Well, based on what? Well, based on their personality and what I know about them. We gather all these resources that are natural, assess our life, and then proceed based on how the balance comes out and the scales. Where, where's faith in that? Where's the sense that the supernatural God could show up in that moment and make something unexplainably happen? You become capable of doing something that you have no reason to believe you could ever do that. Somebody else responds in a way that there's no reason for them to respond that way. Some need gets met in a way that doesn't make any sense at all to the natural. But we live in a world that's enchanted, right? Right? Our enchanted age, your outline there, I said slowly and subtly creates a world that feels like all we have and all that matters is right here and right now. It's an age that tells us that all your attention and all that is good is found in natural spaces. You know, Why would I cultivate connection with the supernatural when the stuff that really matters is natural? I mean, I've got to stay up with the news. I've got to find out information. I've got to work harder. I've got to get educated. I've got to do all these things. And listen, Christians aren't supposed to be either or people, right? We do live in the physical universe that God created. And we are physical beings as well as spiritual beings. So there's a dimension to our physical life that we're not supposed to just blow off and become these Gnostics. That there is nothing real except the spirit realm. No, no, you're going to have a body in heaven. Right? So there's a dimension to us that is going to have physical activity in it and we're, we're to be responsible with it. We're to invest ourselves in it, etc. But our world has closed its eyes to the spiritual realm and it only builds naturally. And, and that's a problem. Right, a couple of thoughts here, I'll just race through these quick. When you think that way, eternity gets ignored and today becomes our hyper focus and our obsession. I've said this before, but it, it probably needs needs to be said a lot more. You know, if you go back a couple of generations and those of you who are old enough to have been in the church world back then, you know what it means to have a pilgrim mindset. Pilgrim mindset. The idea that this world is not our home. We are foreigners here. And we are just passing through on our way to what really is home for us. Do you, want, do you want to understand why the prosperity message could get so much traction? Because that reality got lost along the way. And what made sense was for everything that sounds a little bit like heaven to be found out a way to make it happen right here. So what you have theologically in churches is is people trying to convert earth into heaven. To turn our experience and our life into something that really is not completely for us just yet. It's about the place that our ancestors before us were longing for. To go there one day and experience all the fullness of God. Well, And you'll notice prosperity when it's taught the way it's taught in this world, it's got so little to do with heaven. It's got so much to do with right here and right now. Having it, naming it, and claiming it. It's got so much to do about material possessions. It's got so much to do about your body right here on earth, and and health, and having divine health in your life. It's so, isn't it amazing how prosperity teaching is about 90% right here and right now, and about 10% But what Christ has done and having him as our inheritance and God himself being our lasting treasure and not laying up treasures on earth but laying them up in heaven. You ever notice that prosperity teaching doesn't run in those passages very well? Because it's bought into the spirit of the age. All we got is right here and right now. And so when I go and grab a promise, I want that promise to come true here. Matter of fact, it'd be nice if it could show up this week. Now, what do you do when God doesn't show up in your life this week? I I, I know what we do. We we take God to court. God's going to face a lawsuit from a bunch of us in the next month. I guarantee you. Because I understood that what God was going to do in my life was going to show up right here and right now. And, you know, it's not. Why, God? What did I do? And, And our theology gets upside down and we just spend all of our life, oh... Why is it going this way? Why do I read the Bible the way I do? That's a good question. Why don't we ask that question instead? (laughs) But this is what happens when we lose sight of supernatural elements of our lives. The devil and spiritual forces are ignored. And we live lives that feature conflict and contention with flesh and blood. I said, how many of us are just, whether or not you've ever read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? Yeah, I, you know, Cliff, that is not surprising that you have read that book. You and Phil, I'm sure both of y'all probably read that book at some point together. Um, formed a small group, had some meetings over it, I'm sure. Um, whether you've ever read a book like that or not, you and I, we take notes as we move through life. We take notes on the people around us. Where's his button? Where's her button? If I say this and create the right sense of guilt by saying that, she will respond this way. Got it. And we close our little book. And the next time we go to deal with our spouse or someone in our life, we know how to win friends and influence people. We know how to manipulate one another. Because life is about natural things. How many of us know how to... Climb into our prayer closet, lift unseeable prayers with power to the God who controls everything in an unseen way, who would change the heart of that person to righteousness so that they might actually do and become all that God had for them to do and become in the moment that we're concerned about manipulating them by our force, by our fears and our guilt and our bad attitude. Listen, we know how to shove the world naturally, but we're kind of clueless about how to shove it spiritually, how to get into a prayer closet and see realities change. By touching something supernatural and and trusting that the one who governs supernaturally will touch the natural realm. But we're not real good at that, are we? We live lives that are built on human strength rather than divine trust. We, We build lives and we build lifestyles and we give ourselves permission to do things that are safe, That are within the realm of possibilities of ourselves. I've got the personality for that. I've got enough money for that. I've got time for that. And so we take our natural resources and we construct our world. And then we give ourselves permission to walk with God in it. I mean, you know, God might have a little different script. I mean, when God shows up, you might fumble and stumble the way Moses did and say, uh, mm, wait, wait, time out, God. Do you understand? I don't, I don't even speak well. Are you sure you got the right guy here? What did you have in mind? And I'm supposed to go talk to who and tell him what? This sounds crazy. Are, are you living a life that feels like this is doomed for failure unless God shows up? Right? That's, that's anticipating that I live in a supernatural world where something beyond me can actually step into my moment and do something that matters rather than, well, you know, there's no way I could convince Pharaoh in any way to get on with the program here. God, that's just not going to happen. You're right, Moses. If all it is is your argument and your ability to intimidate this guy, that ain't never going to happen. But what if I get involved? And I'm the God who can work in the hearts of men. What if we did that? Okay, let's go. Right? We, we might do a lot of things in our lives. If I was supernaturally minded. We obsess, lastly, over the stuff of our five senses. And neglect the stuff of faith. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, Paul says, So we do not lose faith. Heart. Listen, seeing supernaturally has to do with whether you're losing heart or not. So if if you're here this morning, I don't know if you thought about this. I'm losing heart. I'm losing heart over life, over my season, over my circumstances. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, we're aware of something else. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As... We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So you you go to do life, you're losing heart. Life is, is hard and there's struggle there. In that moment, God had intended that you and I would see Something beyond those circumstances and those natural things. We would see supernaturally at some level so that we could actually live our lives. Randy Alcorn, his book Seeing the Unseen, he says, What does scripture mean when it tells us to fix our eyes on what we can't even see? How do we begin to do that? Even though as Christians we affirm the reality of the spiritual realm, sometimes we succumb to naturalistic assumptions that what we see is real and what we don't see isn't. Many people conclude that God can't be real because we can't see him. And heaven can't be real because we can't see it. But we must recognize our blindness. Might it be that we just have a problem seeing things that really do exist? The blind must Take by faith that there are stars in the sky. If they depend on their ability to see, they will conclude there are no stars. All right, so God creates these five senses. It could have been four, by the way. It could have been a dozen. God's not following somebody else's rules. So he creates five senses and gives them to us. And they put us in touch with reality around us, right? right so, your hearing ability, your seeing ability, tasting, smelling, touching. Right, so, this is how you experience reality. But what, what if you were born blind? Or what if an accident occurred and you were blind? Does, it, does that mean the reality doesn't exist in that category? Or if you were standing next to somebody who uh, was blind and, and you were. Looking at something, and they concluded it's not real because I can't see it. Would would you go with that? You can see it. It is seeable, it does exist, but something's happened to you that has affected your ability to see it. Right, well, I think that's exactly what you have. In the storyline of humanity from the fall onward. God created a world. A world. Remember the the Bible describes angelic beings. Who like they sat in the bleachers and watched God create. And applauded and roared in amazement. Did you see that? Did you see day two? Oh my gosh. What's day three going to be like? So there were these angelic beings. That were part of the created order. And Adam had a way of relating to God. He was experiencing God in the garden. But then this fall came. And everything changed. But everything didn't change equally. Right? Even the, the word that God spoke to Adam. Adam, the day that you eat of this tree right here, you will surely die. The physical world changed But right after he ate, did you really notice how much it changed? I wonder. Because we know this, Adam didn't breathe his last breath of air. Bit in and next thing you know, nothing. Did Adam even have a tummy ache at that moment? Eating something he wasn't used to eating? We kind of don't know. Did everything go sepia on him? His eyesight, you know, he only saw in shades of black and white. Couldn't see in color anymore. But well, we know this the, the full impact in, in aspects of his physical dimension was going to play out over time. And it was going to change. He was going to live 900 plus years. And then he was going to die physically. People were going to be affected differently, the world was going to respond to him differently. There would be people that would come after him who would not see the same way. You know, some of us are wearing eyeglasses for a reason. Because our abilities to even make contact and interpret and interact with the physical world got damaged. But nothing got damaged like interacting with God got damaged. Because that was the death that God was primarily highlighting. Adam, the day, the very day that you do this, you and I are separated. So Adam, on our behalf, took a giant leap for mankind away from the supernatural, away from the awareness of God. I mean, remember the guys; he's going to be hiding in the garden, right? He's got a different perspective on who God is, how to interact with him now. The supernatural has become damaged. And then the Bible explains this reality, right? Romans chapter 3 Verse 10 says, all, all of humanity, Jews and Greeks, are under sin. That's your new condition. That's your new label. Everybody get underneath this umbrella. It it describes everybody. You are under sin. As it's written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Do you understand? Adam didn't even do that. He had just been on best friend terms with God just a little while ago. And he eats the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he doesn't seek God. He hides from God. He is afraid of the supernatural. And God has to come find him. All have turned aside. Turned aside from what? What does that verse? What does that passage even mean? Turned aside? There's a lot of things you and I do. What do you mean turned aside? I don't I don't turn aside from a good plate of food. I might turn aside from the Super Bowl today, so it, could, it couldn't it could work in that category. The, the turning aside here is that turned aside from God. God is not a central feature anymore. We are disconnected from the supernatural. In Romans chapter 1, there's some consequences that are here. It's just because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature... Rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up. To dishonorable passions. Verse 28 says. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. See the, the, you're under sin. The, the human condition doesn't even want to acknowledge God. It doesn't, even, it doesn't even want to look to anything beyond itself. God gave them up to a debased mind. To do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. See, This is man in his, I'm going to say, disoriented condition. He is disoriented from his supernatural God. And when he does that, he's going to reorient around other things that are going to now really run the show and create the energy and the the gravitational hold on his life. And it's going to produce this kind of behavior. But just notice here, along the way, God is going to be drastically displaced. If you read the Bible, you, you probably don't notice this because sometimes we're reading we're not looking for this. But do you understand? God is in the garden. He is dwelling with man. There is this harmony. There's this relational connection between God and man. And then Man gets kicked out of the garden. And do you understand thousands of years are going to take place just between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis 11? Thousands of years. Go back and read how tight God and man are during that time. Or your mind should be thinking, yeah. What kind of interaction did God and man have? Very, very little. Thousands of years couple of things recorded where the supernatural God makes himself known to man to the rest of humanity silence all you got is you and what your eyes can see and your ears can hear and then even when you get to Abraham right? God decides I'm going to invade humanity again through that guy right there and his family God initiates that shows up in Abraham's life it's not a test question. How many visits does God have with Abraham in his life? I mean, you read the Bible too quickly, you're kind of like, wait, well, you no, know, Abraham and God, they were hanging out like every day. They were like, I'm going to bowl together. They did all kinds of stuff. They were, they were chummy. <laughs> then you go back and you read, the Bible preserves a few interactions between Abraham and God. You don't understand this? God makes this promise to him and 25 years later, nothing. 25 years go by, no son, where is God? And, And this is true throughout the Bible. God is disconnected from man. Man is very good at living every day connected to natural things. He doesn't know how to relate to God very well. He's under sin and it's drastically affected him. So this is, this, is our, this is a little bit of an explanation. for Why do you and I have such a hard time connecting with the supernatural? And this is why. It doesn't come naturally to us. It's got to come supernaturally. I think I wrote your outline. Spiritual disconnection is a feature of the human experience. But every once in a while. The door flings open All right, so there 's a few instances throughout the Old Testament history where God flings the door open and people encounter him. A man would encounter God in moments, whether it 's Moses at the burning bush, I mean just doing his business. You realize you know Moses is like eighty years old, Moses and God had not been hanging out a whole lot he 's eighty years old. He doesn't even understand who God is. Who do I say sent me again? Right, sometimes we think, oh, Moses and God. I mean, you know, they were strangers. God shows up and makes himself known. Appears and, and speaks. That's a supernatural event, right? The night Jacob falls asleep, has these dreams about a ladder ascending and descending from heaven and angelic beings on them, supernatural. And he awakes and he, he says, God was here. God was in this place and I didn't know it. An encounter with God, a rare encounter with God. There were angelic beings that show up throughout God's history. Just communicating things and revealing things and giving dreams and insights. People will interpret things that are supernatural, that could not be understood by the natural mind, but they're going to have dreams and they're going to interpret them. Miraculous powers are going to come on the scene, but miraculous powers don't seem to exist like, hey, they were always like this. There were Moments where we were incredible and moments where they didn't talk about them. So Elijah and Elisha and power and Moses and Egypt and amazing, overthrow the world, the natural world, it got nothing on the supernatural, stop that here, frogs everywhere. I mean, just God saying, hey, there's a whole supernatural existence here that at any moment, if it steps into your natural world, it redials everything and then nothing. And you, you know, okay. And then a little moment here, a little moment there. Something unique is going to happen, right? When you fast forward all the way through this Old Testament history with its sporadic supernatural revelations and then Jesus Christ is man, but he is God. And he's going to bring the supernatural into the world in a way that no one's ever seen before. And he's going to blow people's minds. But what what really is pertinent for us is what happens right after that. When he ascends back to heaven and he tells his disciples, wait Wait in Jerusalem. Just wait. A door is about to be flung open. That's not like any door that came before it. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Right. So we get to Acts chapter 2. These guys don't know what that means. And this is what I love about that. I was just praying for this for me, for you the other night. These guys didn't understand what exactly he was saying. And I I am so glad to to join confused people standing in front of God sometimes. Because I don't fully understand this either, God. But here, they just knew there was a promise of power. They gathered, 120 of them gather in an upper room. And an unexplainable event, unscripted activity that they weren't warned about. Listen, when the power comes, it's going to look like this, this, this. Be blue, green, and this color no description just power just power. whatever that whatever that is it's just power it's coming and they gather in a room and and wind starts to blow through the room that's different these little fireballs start sitting on top of everybody that's supernatural i'm a little spooked at this point did jesus say anything about fire you know then they start speaking but not in their own language they start speaking in tongues they go out into the streets and they're speaking in ways that people from all over the world can understand different ones of them i don't think they got much warning about that supernatural happens but then peter explains that event by saying hey these these guys aren't drunk what's happening here is what was foretold of a long time ago by the by the prophet joel That in the last days, God would pour out his spirit supernaturally, right? And things would happen through men. Now, that door got flung open and stayed open. Unlike the other doors that God visited. A little bit here, a little bit there. you know if God's going to be back anytime soon? I don't know, he didn't say. That's not what Acts chapter 2 sounds like. This doesn't sound like, hey, supernatural, but... Y'all seen God lately? This sounds like you and I have now gotten access to the supernatural that's different than the people before did. And you know what's really interesting in terms of the who's getting this and who's not? At one moment, of the millions of people on planet Earth, there's 120 of them in a room in one little town in all the world that is experiencing the nearness of God like nobody else is. Only 120 of them. See, God, get your mind free from God being an equal opportunity employer. God does not feel one bit obligated to do for everybody what he does for one person. There's 120 that are going to get this and nobody else is getting it right now. And, And God can still show up that way and I believe he does. But when this power comes... It's going to show up all over the place, right? It's going to be supernatural in all kinds of ways. I'm going to do a long time here. Right, let me just throw this into one category before I race towards the end here. Because I do want us to make room in our lives for miraculous supernatural encounters. For dreams and visions and forms of communication that are simply supernatural. For prophetic ministry That takes an individual and puts something in that individual to minister to somebody else. That they don't have that through natural means. They have an insight through supernatural means that they share with others. Speaking in tongues and being filled with the Spirit. And all the ways that God has given for the New Testament church to operate. I, I want all kinds of room to be made for that. Supernatural activity is taking place right now in this moment if you are getting anything that God is saying to you right now. So let me just rescue us as a church from this. We're not waiting for God to show up with power. Are you saved? Do you understand that that only happens by the power of God? You could not have come to awareness and conviction and willingness to fork over the keys of your life with great joy and say, the future now belongs to you, God. I relinquish all rights to run this thing from here on out. That doesn't happen naturally. That's a good thing to know, right? So when you and I go to do evangelism, we can stop feeling like, there's no way I'm going to convince this person. You're right. If all that's involved is your human words and their human response, there is no way. Matter of fact, it's worse than thinking, I don't think that'll happen. Oh, it's worse than that. It's impossible for it to happen. The only way you and I are sitting here today with a heart toward God and an interest in God and longings to God and we pray at all is because the Holy Spirit has come with his supernatural agency and given us a connection with God that we could not have apart from him. If I read the Bible and a little light goes off and goes, oh, oh, that's, that's what God is like. That's the power of God. You didn't do that because you had a really good math and science teacher back in high school. Or somebody had taught you to read. You saw that because God gave you eyes to see it. And that's a supernatural event. So be wise and be careful. Because the Bible's is going to come along and say things like this. In Romans chapter 8 verse 13. This is, this is garden variety welcome to life stuff right here. But it takes supernatural agency to pull it off. For if you live, verse 13 of chapter 8. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Stop. There's a category of life called according to the flesh. It's that natural, in the ditch, car goes to the left, tendency of man. But there's another category. But if by the spirit, that's a different category. You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Did you realize that bad habits and fleshly control and power over the way I think, the way I act, what I will do and won't do, whether I will long suffer or become defensive and tear you down. Those activities of the flesh need to meet something supernatural in order them to be undone. It's not the gospel. For Christians to teach personal social reform at the hands of human power. That's not the gospel. The gospel comes along and says, first of all, you cannot do this. Humbly recognize that and get on your knees and welcome someone who can. It doesn't come along and see, this is, I want to talk about this throughout this year. We'll get to it at some point, but... This is the difference between thinking evangelism is about reforming the culture versus it's about conversion of the individual. It'd be nice if the rules of the land that we lived in reflected the biblical wisdom of God. It'd be nice if that was the case. But, but we are here for more than that, much more than that. And if we could write a cool letter, do a a march, or protest, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do any of those things because we do care about the world that we live in. And we could get the laws to change to reflect something that we know would be better for humanity, that'd be great for us to do it. But you understand that's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is after the miracle of new birth, of taking people who are dead spiritually and bringing the power of God to their life so that they can come alive to God. Whether they agree with our morals or not. It'd be nice if they did. And at some point when you get saved. You're going to come into agreement with God about a lot of stuff. But it takes the power of God to do these things. It takes the power of God for us to change the deeds of the body. It says for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You have received The spirit, that's supernatural. Something is now going on inside of you that's beyond the natural. Even if right now you're sitting here going, I just don't know how to connect with that, Keith." That's the challenge, isn't it? And this is a great challenge. This is why I'm very excited for Jack Deere to be with us. Uh, Next week, because I I think in many ways we have an awareness of the supernatural, but but not an engagement of the supernatural. And I think part of that is not just because uh, we've never been taught something from scripture. I think part of that is because the reason why I'm doing this series is because we live in a world that's rescripting our existence. And if we don't pick up some of these vocabulary words, we will do this year natural minded, natural resources, natural strengths out of, this, out of our own abundance. And we will not learn how to receive from God these kinds of things. See, there's receiving here. You've received the spirit of adoption. As sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Let me just put a little warning tag on here. There are aspects, I believe, and I, I welcome... Differences of opinions in this category. But I, I believe the, the principle of being in a fallen world that awaits full glorification and full redemption puts us into a zone where there's a lot available to us, but not completely available to us. I think that's theologically where we are. So there's a lot of supernatural things that are available to us that are not completely available to us. And, and let me tell you, if you make a mistake in this category, you'll become disillusioned with the supernatural and you will walk away from it. All right, so do we believe the Bible teaches healing? Yes. Supernatural healing. Yes. Where God steps into human brokenness and changes that condition from one of sickness to health. Yes. How'd that get done? Well, the redemptive act of Christ, who interfered with the, the, the debt and the judgment of sin, has made healing available to us how available keith fully available if you're a christian and you avail yourself of all that god has should you ever be sick again where'd you get the idea to even say it that way prosperity teachers prosperity teachers who glance very little at heaven and who stare at earth And take everything in the Bible and try to make it about right here, right now. So their teaching on healing is going to be, you can be whole all the time. That's not in the Bible. You notice no one lives forever in this earthly realm. In the earthly body that they have. If God heals you today, you know the one promise I can make you? Is you're still going to die. And more than likely you're going to die because something of the natural is going to give out... And you're going to be translated into another condition. All right, so I don't believe the Bible teaches ultimate supernatural experience. I think it, it teaches a realm of supernatural experience suitable for this time that won't match the one yet to come. The one that's coming is mind-blowing. But let me ask you this, because I, I think sometimes if you think, well, everybody should be healed. Well, guess what? When you pray and not everybody gets healed, guess how long you're going to keep praying? Because you think what should be happening here is everybody should be getting healed. I'm doing this wrong. This is just wrong. And so eventually you're going to stop doing that. Everything about the supernatural that if you think it's supposed to exist at 100%, when you fall short of that and you're playing at about 20%, you're going to walk away from it. So this is how you kill the supernatural by having bad theology installed on top of it. But what if I were to tell you this? What if I were to say, you know, I think I can conclude from in-depth studies that I've done that 20% of those who will be prayed for in New Testament fashion will be healed. Which means 80% won't, right? Do the math. 20%, though. If you were sick here today, would you want to be prayed for? Does that a guarantee you're going to be healed? No. But you could be. Right? Would you go pray for people if you knew that one out of five get healed? But but what if you pray for that one? Earnestly pray. Call up as many Bible verses as you know to call up. Extend yourself in faith. Command the universe to do things. I mean, you just prayed the prayer of all prayers, and that person dies within six months. See, if you believe that the supernatural fixes everything about the fallen world, well, that's not biblical. But it does interfere with the fallen world. It does inject the presence of God in a way that reminds them, hey, here, have a taste. And you taste and you go, hmm, that's really good. No, no. This is in heaven waiting for you. Some of what God does is first fruits of that which is coming. It's supernatural, it's going to show up, it's mind-blowing. It's not always every day. So if I'm going to pursue it, I'm going to have to make room for the fact that, yeah, you know, sometimes I, I, maybe I'm not going to experience it, but many times I am. And I need to pursue it that way, I need to make room for it. I think the Bible encourages us in that dimension. All right, let me do this. Let me finish with this last quote, this last thought from John Piper and I want to pray for us. Piper says Christian living is supernatural or it is nothing. The church is made of living stones, and that's supernatural, right? Built into a spiritual house. Spiritual is the opposite of merely natural. It means inhabited and guided and empowered by the supernatural spirit of Christ. Paul distinguished between a natural person and a spiritual person, 1 Corinthians 2. And he described those who act like natural persons as mere humans. Christians are not mere humans. They are spiritual humans. God resides in them. They have new spiritual life flowing through them. They live with power that is not merely their own. There's no way we can be the church without this experience. The call to deny ourselves for the sake of love. To return good for evil. To forgive 70 times 7. To endure one another. (laughs) And to keep on doing this with joy for 50 or 60 or 80 years is not possible to the natural human. It's only possible supernaturally. You don't have to raise your hand, but I I, I want you to pray with me together. Are, Are you satisfied... Right now, in your life, with the level of supernatural engagement that you are experiencing, does anybody here would say yeah i 'm good i 'm one hundred percent i 'm exactly all that there is i 'm good with what I get I, I think many of us would say, "God, I know there 's more I know there 's more in this category i, I, I don 't know where to begin necessarily i, I don 't know how to fully access it. I, I, is it an instant? Is it a practice?" Will join many of us who have questions. And 40 years later, I've, I've still got questions. But I am still convinced I know there's more. And I see on the rich pages of these scriptures experiences of the supernatural that God wanted us to have, and ministry that He wanted us to walk in, and power that He wanted us to experience. And whether that plays out 100 percent of the time, or 20 percent of the time, or whatever percent of the time, that's not my business, is it? Pursue love, but earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Hey, yeah, get busy loving each other. But by the way, that's not a natural versus a supernatural argument, is it? Because Jesus says, "Love one another even as I have loved you, as you have loved me, like is in supernatural Godlike love, love one another? Do I need God to love? Yeah, so I'm going to need the supernatural even if I'm going to pull off the love part. Right? Love is not a natural thing that we do. As a matter of fact, it, it, it involves the supernatural. It involves the very life and character of God in us to love the way he's describing in Scripture. So here, here's how, my hope for us. This is part of our First Corinthians studies. It'll be part of what we do next week. Is, is a church postured to say, I'm in. I want more. I want more. All right. so let's do this. I'm going to ask you to stand up if you want more. If, if not, you can remain reclining. But if you want more, let, let's stand up together. And let's close in, in prayer asking God for more. Lord, it's helpful for us to revisit our history, our human history. Adam plunged us into the natural realm. Severed us from the supernatural. And you, Lord, became a stranger. But Lord, we don't live in that day. We live in a unique time, a pre-heaven time, a last days time. Where our experience of the supernatural it's not heaven. But it's not the wilderness of the old testament people of god. You have given us your spirit. You have given us power. You have given mysterious things to us, Lord, that we don't always fully know how to engage, how to receive, how to walk in, how to put on. But, Lord, in many of these places, there's there's admonition. Pursue love, but earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Lord, we earnestly desire this morning. God, we are aware there's more. There's more of your power and your life to flow through us. There's there's more to characterize us individually as we live life and we love impossible people. And we forgive those who are impossible for us to forgive. As we minister to someone that we don't know or don't know well enough to explain their circumstances. Yet you give us insight that opens their heart and their eyes to you. God, to pray for the impossible to happen. To see reconciliation between conflicted individuals. Because supernaturally, God moved on hearts and changed their minds. The God who's at work in us to will and to do of his good pleasure, Lord. That's a supernatural engagement. God, we want to pray for those who suffer and watch supernatural resources flow into their lives and touch their worlds. God reminders along the way that our God is with us and you promised you would be Lord, "Lo I am with you to the end of the age." And Lord, there's an age coming that's not like this age. No potholes, No ditches, no vehicles that pull in one direction. God, that day awaits us. But in this day, there are tastes of that day available to us. Lord, we want to earnestly desire. We want to seek. We want to be open. We want to grow. We want to be used that way. So God, our prayer, Lakeview Christian Center. Lord, we stand together to ask you. Lord, would you... In 2019, bring this vocabulary word to life for us, supernatural, a life beyond, above, that you bring into our midst. Lord, we are eager for that. and We are searching for that. In Jesus' name. Can we do this? If you're here today and your life needs supernatural invasion, are you just facing something that looks impossible? It could be physical, could be emotional, could be relational. But you'd like, after hearing that this morning, to have people come and pray for you and to invite God to invade that supernaturally, to see what he does. If that's you this morning, while other folks are dismissing, why don't you make your way forward, Come up and let us pray for you. And I'm going to invite the elders and some other guys who are, are here, leaders in the church, to just come and, and pray for a supernatural outpouring on your situation, whatever that situation may be. Come, come and let us pray with you this morning. And guys, if you guys would come help me to pray for these guys, much appreciated. Well, the rest of you guys are dismissed to a supernatural week. Uh, Enjoy taking a nap this afternoon. There's nothing worth watching on TV.